Hey, uh, awesome to see you guys and spend a little bit of time together tonight. Uh, my name's Matt. I've been coming to Night Church here for like eight or nine years now. I came to Wellington from Palmy actually um, to study, but uh, I went to a church up the road, so uh, no, <laughs> there's no rivalry. Um, we were, side note, when we were at Easter camp, there were a few like ruckus things between our Palmy Central Baptist and Crossroads, but it turns out everyone does go to Crossroads, so maybe there's something in that, you know, when they're going up there. So I'd encourage you to check it out. Um, been coming here for a while. For my work, I do um, IT. Uh, so we do what we call uh, data management and spatial visualization software, um, which actually, believe it or not, is not as interesting as it sounds. Um, people say, man, I don't know anything about that sort of stuff. And of course, I reply, neither do I, um, which makes the work a little bit challenging, um, but occasionally it's good as well. And, and the reason I, I tell you about my work is because we're going to talk about work tonight. We're going to talk about God's design for work and what does it mean to be working as a part of the kingdom of God. And I want to start off with a little discussion with your neighbor period, only for 30 seconds, so don't freak out too much. But I have this question um, to talk about with your neighbor. Will there still be work after Jesus ultimately returns? Talk to your neighbor for 30 seconds. Will there still be work after Jesus ultimately returns. What do you reckon? Cool. Very good. I'm imagining that we probably had a range of responses and thoughts or comments that I've never thought about that to this question. But the, the reason that I, I asked this question and we're talking about work tonight is that we're continuing on in our um, series on the book of Ruth. And we come to Ruth chapter two, which is about, um, it's a super interesting kind of intersection of Ruth's faith and of her work. And my kind of observation of um, our generation and our kind of uh, group of people is that we're not actually always the best at integrating our faith and our work in a particularly meaningful and consistent way. And for today's purposes, work kind of means everything from your kind of paid Monday to Friday full-time situation through to, I know a lot of us are studying, um, others of us might be parents, others of us might be uh, volunteers. Um, I've got a few friends who are like artists and do cool things like that. So whatever it is that you kind of do with your time that's adding value or serving others is work for today's purposes. And if I was to ask you, how does your faith impact your work? What would you say? What would you answer to that question? Some of you might say, like, work is a place where I have interactions with people, and so work ends up being a platform for kind of evangelism or outreach. Others of us might say, uh, like, I go to work to enable me to kind of get the resource to live, and that means that I'm able to do the real work kind of outside the nine to five, do the spiritual real work outside of that time. Others of us might say that, like, I work in a role that kind of um, practically is serving and enabling others to thrive so that my work is a kind of way of loving others and, and um, being Jesus in that way. Others might say, I don't really integrate my faith in my work at all. I've never really thought about it too much. And so today I want to have a, a brief look at how faith and work works together. So we're going to have a little bit of a look at Ruth chapter 2. We're going to have a little bit of a look at Genesis chapter 1, and then we're going to pull out some kind of practical things in light of that, of how to work well. So we're going to go to Ruth chapter 2. We've got um, the story of Ruth in chapter 2, and we're going to go 2 
1 through to 13, okay? So Ruth chapter 2, 1 through to 13 goes like this. Now, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along with the women. I've told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you noticed me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor, favor in, your, in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. That's us. Yeah, hey God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the time we shared together, Lord. I ask that, yeah, you'd speak through my words, Lord. I ask that as we leave from tonight, we'd have a better understanding of, of how you call us to work as part of your kingdom, Lord. So, yeah, we pray that you'd be speaking tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, Briefly, what is going on in the story, right? So we have Ruth, who is the daughter-in-law, and we have Naomi, who is the mother-in-law, and everyone's husband has, for whatever reason, passed away, right? So these daughters and mother-in-laws are by themselves, which is, like, not good in this culture. So they've gone from uh, Ruth's homeland, which is Moab, and they've gone back to Naomi's homeland, which is Judah. And so they come to this position where actually they don't have people to provide for them. They're going to need to provide for themselves. They're going to need to find food and shelter and all of that for themselves. And so Ruth proactively goes out and looks for work. And it turns out that she ends up working for this guy, Boaz, with whom, because of her work and her family connections, Ruth finds favor. So Boaz ends up giving Ruth a role that was outsized for what she could have really expected, right? Like she gets a much better job, she gets much better status, she gets much better kind of protection than what really she probably would have expected to have gotten for someone in her position. And so that's essentially the story of Ruth chapter 2. And so in this, where do we see faith and work um, coming together? We're really going back to Judah is quite a significant act of faith 
uh, for Ruth, right? Like she's leaving her home country. She's going back essentially to, to the country of Yahweh to follow the God of um, the family that she married into. And so doing this is quite an act of faith for her. And Boaz observes this and he says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, under whose wings you have taken refuge. And as Jamie mentioned last week, one of the kind of key themes of the book of Ruth is that God is not like, um, he doesn't say anything. He's not immediately in the book. He's not talked about. But the theme is kind of like God works in the background. And so it says kind of, as it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz. Just when she came, Boaz also turned up. So God's working in the background. So Ruth has faith. And Ruth, we also see um, Ruth's work. So Ruth is proactive and doing excellent work. And then God uses this to further his purposes. God never directly calls Ruth to do any particular work, but she finds favor as a consequence of her work. And it's through the work that she develops this connection to Boaz and together their family line um, goes on to have Jesus down the track, right? So um, Ruth ends up marrying Boaz and a um, few generations down they have David and then a whole bunch of generations after that, um, Jesus turns up as part of this family line, right? And so um, we could make the conclusion that the point of Ruth is that you're meant to go to work um, to get married to um, have the Messiah in your family clan further down the line. Um, but I think we're somewhat limited um, in our ability to do that. And so I think it would be cool to like understand what does Scripture say about work uh, more generally. And there's some pretty critical verses about um, God's design for work right at the very beginning of the Bible, right? Right on like day one. God is articulating his design and his plan for work. So we're going to draw out three things of Genesis chapter 1 around work. The first one is this. God himself is described as a worker. Genesis twice uses this word that describes God and his creating as a worker. And it means kind of like God is like a skilled craftsman or an artisan. So creating is actually God's work. And I think the interesting thing to think about is that God basically did this creative work like entirely unprompted, right? Like there was nothing and then God said, I'm going to do this thing. Which is a pretty interesting indication as to the value of creating or the value of work. He didn't do this as a means to an end. He didn't do this as a solution to a problem. He didn't do this to get a subsequent outcome, but this was the thing that he decided, I'm going to do this. This is a good thing. So God himself is a worker. The second point is this. Humans are created in God's image. We are commissioned to rule and subdue the earth. We had a bit of a family uh, discussion recently about who does what around the house, and it came up that one unmentioned member of the marriage puts the washing on. And the other member of the marriage said, putting the washing on is the easy part. All you have to do is throw the clothes in the machine and put the uh, washing powder in and hit the button and walk away. Now, the thing is, if that was all you did, the washing would remain very much unwashed, wouldn't it? Or you'd just kind of get mouldy, soggy, smelly clothes that would be less appealing than they were before they went into the washing machine. The other person responded, yes, but I've started the job, and then you can continue the job. 
At which point I said, yeah, but it takes 20 minutes to hang the washing out and 30 seconds to put the washing machine on. Now, this story is very much like the book of Genesis. And that God basically does six days of creating and one day of resting, right? And the thing is, like at this point, after six days, the creative work is not finished. Like you kind of have this garden that like has animals and like kind of all the raw ingredients that what we have now, but it's very much like there's still more work to be done right. It's like if God gave us this ball of Play-Doh or this ball of, I don't know, whatever you like making sculptures out of, and it's just this ball, right? Like there's still the raw ingredients are there, but there's very much still the possibility to make something cooler than just like this ball of stuff. And we see in Genesis that God tells us that as image bearers of himself, we are both the pinnacle of God's creative work and we are tasked with continuing God's creative project. It says this in Genesis 1, chapter 26. God said this about humans. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. John Mark Homer, in his um, really good book, Garden City, on this said, the word rule is, I don't know, radar or something in Hebrew. It can be translated as reign or have dominion. It's king language. It's royal language. He's harking back to the idea, to the idea that, like, to be made in the image of something, like, people only made images of kings and, like, the top dogs, right? So that in that time, if you're made in the image of something, it's to actually ascribe, like, pretty high-level status or value to that thing. So it's king language. One Hebrew scholar translated it as, to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. A few verses later in Genesis 1.28, God said this. Oh, it says this. God blessed them, his creation, the humans, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Tim Keller said the word subdue indicates that all, though all God has made was good, it was still to a great degree undeveloped. God left creation with deep untapped potential for cultivation that people were to unlock through their labor. And so my main kind of idea for tonight is this. God has mandated us to partner with him in progressing his creation. Our work is a continuation of his creative project, one where ultimately he will be able to say again, and it was good. And we know that this won't be something that's fully achieved until Christ returns. But Scripture paints a pretty clear picture of our role in this. You know, the opening of Genesis, we know, has the Garden of Eden, right? And the Garden of Eden is described very much as like this raw, untapped, uncultivated, undeveloped, kind of open, blank canvas of a garden. But when you get back to the, when you get forward to the end of Revelation, it uses very much the same language to like allude back to this garden but where previously there was this garden, there is now a developed, cultivated city that, Jerus that um, Revelation describes as the New Jerusalem. And so God is basically, in the story of the Bible, placed humanity between this undeveloped, 
garden and this new city. It signifies the start and the end of humanity's work here on earth. And so as image bearers of created God, our lives reflect God's rhythm of six days of work, one day of rest. The final thing that we learn about work in Genesis is that our work is not a consequence of sin. It will be subject to redemption, not to rejection. We got news earlier this year that um, Tip Top are discontinuing cookies and cream and um, goody goody gum dropped ice cream, right? Oh, spoiler alert. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and I think for whatever reason, we have this kind of understanding um, when we grow up in church and stuff at the moment and the generation we find ourselves in. Our thought is that basically, like cookies and cream ice cream, when Jesus comes back, the earth will be discontinued. You know, like God's going to evaporate it and there's going to be some new non-physical, spiritual, good vibes realm that's going to be heaven and that's going to be awesome, right? Which is like, People have believed that at different times, but it's actually not the orthodox Christian view of what happens when Jesus comes back. And Jerem talked about this only a few weeks ago. But one of the consequences of this thought is that when we think about work and what we do here on earth, it raises the question, what is the point if it's all just going to be evaporated and thrown away and replaced? Like, why do we do this work if ultimately it's not going to be retained? But the thing of Scripture is that the earth is not rejected, it's not thrown away, but this earth will be restored, will be redeemed, will be continued. The good things will be retained, including our cultivation of it. And the thing we see in Genesis is that we as humanity, initially through Adam and Eve, are given work to do before sin enters into the world. So work is not a consequence of sin, Work predated sin and will still be here after sin is defeated. The earth will not be subject to rejection, but to redemption. All of which raises the question, what does that mean for our work now? Well, it means that whatever your work is, whether you're studying, whether you're working, whether you're doing whatever, any work that's done as part of creating a good earth or society or culture is valuable and meaningful and significant in line with our mandate to partner with God in ruling and subduing creation. So whatever it is you do, whether it's IT, whether you're a nurse, whether you're a cop, whether you're an artist, whether you're at the supermarket, whether you're at, you're at uni, whether you're still at school, anything that we do that inches creation towards its final restored state is more than just a means of providing resource for ourselves, but it is our commissioned work as part of God's creative project. The exception to this, of course, is anything that's actively moving us away from this end state, right? Like anything that's harmful, anything that doesn't hold um, other people as image bearers of God, anything that's damaging, um, that's not really part of God's creative project, and there probably are roles like that. But on the whole, our work is something that God calls us to do. So now we are going to um, 
return to the main text because I thought it would be pretty ruthless if we didn't. Um, sorry, no, 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 no. Um, work, Ruth's work was simply to gather wheat, right? Like, she had the most mundane, menial, like, I don't want to say anything about farmers, but, you know, like, she was literally, um, she was doing the food production for herself, right? Like, that was as good as it got. It wasn't prestigious, it wasn't particularly spiritual, which is an interesting thing to note. Um, she didn't say she was doing any outreach on the job. But in light of God's commissioning of us to rule the earth, it was more meaningful than her simply providing the stuff that she needed. And so practically, I want to look at three things that we can learn from Ruth's work to close us out. The first one is this. Ruth was proactive. For Ruth, being faithful to God didn't mean doing nothing while she waited for God to tell her what to do. She was open to hearing from God, I'm sure, but otherwise she made the best decisions with the information that she had. Verse 2 said, Let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Basically, she went out and did this for herself. And so being faithful does not mean being passive or inactive unless God um, kind of directly communicates to us. I know sometimes we can think, oh, I'm waiting for a word, or I'd like God to tell me exactly what to do with my life. But the thing is that God's already communicated us through us um, in Scripture. Um, and he's enabled us to think through decisions and problems with like the brain that he's given us, right? And so I think we always have to be open kind of through prayer and through silence and solitude and all that stuff to hearing from God, but not hearing from God is not a reason to do nothing. And I think um, in terms of working out where to work and how to work well, that can often be something that we need to lean into and moving forward in what we know for sure to already be good and right. So Ruth was proactive. The second thing is Ruth was diligent. She worked both hard and worked with excellence. Verse 7 said, uh, Ruth said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. Uh, Paul said in the classic verse in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. And so this role that we've been given in continuing on God's creativity and his cultivation, it's pretty important, right? And so the idea is that we should be embodying the goodness of God in the work that we do. And so our work and our character in doing that work should reflect God's work in the way that he went about what he did. This means our work should reflect the love and the goodness, and the beauty, and the creativity, and the excellence that God has in himself, and put into his own work. So Ruth was diligent, and finally, Ruth demonstrated humility. She was humble. As with many things in the kingdom of God, the work valued by the world is not always the same as the work valued by God. Ruth knew probably that her work was pretty menial, but still good. She probably knew that it wasn't a true measure of her identity, 
even if the people around her perceived that to be the case. And so the thing is that we cannot let our pride exclude us from doing work that God deems to be worthwhile. But on the flip side, we should not view our work as a relative measure of our value compared to those around us. Regardless of wherever we sit in whatever kind of worldly work hierarchy, God doesn't see that. He sees we all have good work that we are called to do. Um, we're pretty much done, so um, let's do the band come up thing. But some of you are probably thinking that tonight's message has been quite a narrow focus on one particular subject, um, and I recognise that that's the case, and so I want to basically make two big disclaimers to essentially position our understanding of work in the greater kind of picture of Scripture, right? And we know that... Um, Salvation is not by works, and these sort of things are possibly on people's minds as I've talked through this thing. So the first idea that I'm going to close off is this, is that work is a good but not ultimate purpose. And so the work that we're called to do has to sit alongside the other things that we have been called to do. Work and by extension, um, money and career are always a risk of becoming idols, things that compete with God for our kind of capacity and for our attention and for our love. But our work is not something that competes with God, but work is acts of service and worship towards God. Um, and it's a, a call to work is, command to work is kind of subservient to the greater commands of loving God and loving neighbour. So we have to guard against the risk of, of work or money or career becoming an idol. But the bigger thing is that something that we observe in Ruth's story is that um, she was good at her work, right? But ultimately, it wasn't her work that kind of transformed her situation. It was basically, it was Boaz's acts of, of love and generosity that he offered for her to come out of the situation that was, she was in and be incorporated into his family. Like she could have, could have been the most awesomest wheat harvester of all time, but ultimately the story is Boaz interjected into her story to offer her something that she wouldn't have got purely on the basis of her work. And in that sense, Scripture says that our story is similar to Ruth's story, and that no amount of good work or effort or productivity or output will ever on its own merit salvation for us but only through accepting the invitation of Jesus to follow him and to enter into his kingdom. Only through the work of Christ on the cross do we have redemption through his blood, Paul says, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And so Jesus' defeat of, of death and decay means that one day for those of us who have accepted his invitation, that we will work, we will continue his creative project on an earth that has no sin, has no blemish, has no pain, has no suffering, but creativity, cultivation will continue. Work not of pain and of necessity, but of worship and of beauty. And so that's us for tonight. My hope is that tomorrow morning or whenever you're next doing you're cultivating and you're creating that you'll think what you're doing with your hands and with your mind is an extension of what began in the garden of God's call to, to cultivate and to subdue and to have dominion over and to rule the earth.
And so, God, we pray that your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We are thankful for that. You restored us in our hearts, Lord. We're thankful that you will restore the earth, and we're thankful that um, one of the things that you call us to do is to, to play a tiny role in that restoring of the earth, Lord. Yeah, we pray that, that in our workplaces, in our, in our schools, in our uni spaces, Lord, that, that your kingdom um, come, that, that, that those places will look slightly more like heaven because of our, our presence there. So we ask that you be with us this week, Lord. Yeah, we ask that you be glorified. We ask that you be worshipped. We ask that you be served through, through our work, through the different things we do with our hands and with our feet. Yeah, so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.